Gorn calls for Kirk to stop smoking. <laughs> stop, sm- stop smoking? <laughs> what are you smoking, Dana? <laughs> the Gorn talks like a 12-pack-a-day smoker. <laughs> <It's> got- <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith, and tonight, joined by Judge Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Your Honor. How are you doing? <laughs> I should probably make this uh, clear. Like, I'm not a judge in a legal sense, like in a courtroom. <laughs> Although, how awesome would that be just to, you know, throw the book at people? But, but you get um, to decide people's fate. Yeah, that would be good. That that would be good. But <laughs> I, I kind of do, I suppose. I am a certified beer judge in the beer judge certification program. And I did just judge in my first competition this past weekend in Tacoma, Washington. Well, that's awesome. Uh, along with being a uh, brewer of beer, of, of many styles of beer, taking classes and studied to become uh, a judge. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, it's fun. You know, I mean, the studying is great because you get to drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to also, you know, really pay attention to it. Um, I also teach some classes in in a beer appreciation, beer styles, that type of thing at our local community college here in Walla Walla. So um, yeah, I've had a lot of fun with it for sure. And you're doing a Star Trek podcast, so you are living the life of Riley. Totally. Totally am. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and you married a wonderful woman on top of it. That's so, true. Thank that's you. Um, maybe I'll cut out that you said that, and I'm going to put in that you said it <laughs> so that I get credit for it. <laughs> it's it's really great that uh, you have this passion for beer and that you've really pursued this so much. Uh, and uh, it's that. It's great to be able to uh, do that. Well, thank you. And I have to say, you know, you were there very early in my beer journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't supplying you with stuff, you you know, you want to uh, win contests with or anybody was going to win contests with. So, <laughs> No, that's true. We were not drinking very good beer uh, back in the day. But, you know, it gave me a good foundation, <laughs> maybe. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, back to the show. The, uh, <laughs> we got to put more money in the ramble jar. Last week, we went off track quite a bit, Dan. You put money in, I put money in, and uh, pretty soon, uh, as I mentioned on Facebook, uh, we'll be able to charter a plane, our own plane, to go to the next Star Trek convention. Yeah, last week was, hey, I had a lot of fun last week. I really enjoyed the kind of the detours that we took. Hopefully, our listeners did too. I'm not, I'm not sure, but... Um, I really enjoyed that. I still, however, have not done a shot of Jägermeister. I think that we need to do one show where we are uh, just drinking Jägermeister shots for, I don't know how you decide when to take a shot. Maybe every time we get off track, you got to take a shot of Jägermeister. Whew. <laughs> that could be a bad night. That's uh yeah. See, the only reason why you're suggesting this is because you've never had Jägermeister. And now we've got them who are going to uh, hate us as well as uh, Iowa, Nebraska, and other states to be mentioned soon. Yeah, I didn't uh, hear from the uh, Jägermeister Corporation, did you? No, but yeah, uh, sooner or later, it's going to come back. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. And just like with all Jägermeister, apparently, it always comes back. Yeah. Uh, let's get on with the show. We, yeah, I think we uh, should. <laughs> <laughs> last week was the Squire of Gothos, and we did get a lot of comments on uh, Facebook page and emails. Thank you, Robin, for sending your comments. Also, uh, we heard from Jim and and Oren, thank you for uh, reaching out to us and letting us know that you're listening to the podcast. Did have a couple comments that people agreed with us on 
our take of Trelane, uh, that he several people thought he was more like Q, and a couple people said that they thought he was more like Charlie X. This week, we have Arena. Let's get into the show and see what uh, what Arena is all about. Yeah, let's do it. We start off in the uh, transporter room, and McCoy and Kirk are talking about Commodore Travers. And uh, he has quite the reputation for setting a fine table. You know, they're, they're kind of joking. It's uh, very light. And uh, when I was watching, this is one of the parts where I was thinking, I'm watching the wrong episode. Yeah. Um, they get a message from Commodore Travers and uh, says, make sure you bring along your best tactical people. And Spock questions it. And Kirk and McCoy are just kind of joking around, don't seem to care. Kirk says, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. Maybe they're having some issues and they want some uh, some advice. And just Yeah, because he says that they're like way out in a far corner of the galaxy where they don't have access to maybe starships very often, something along those lines. But I got to tell you, Dana, when I saw that red shirt on the transporter pad, I was thinking, yeah, come on, come on, bring it. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, though, after uh, Spock uh, voices his opinion, uh, McCoy says he's more concerned about the food and could use a good non-reconstituted meal for once. Isn't it enough the Commodore is famous for his hospitality? I, for one, could use a good non-reconstituted meal. Doctor, <laughs> you are a sensualist. You bet your pointed ears I am. Yeah, that's a great so, line. Yeah, I thought it was. And again, it's, it's kind of joking around. You know, Spock's the serious one. And I thought, oh, I got to check and make sure I'm watching the right episode. So, But then they beam down to the planet. And you see right away, like a couple of the characters pull out their phasers. And we look around and get a wider shot. And we see that the compound there has just been annihilated. So they determine that the messages have been they've received have been fake. Kirk makes the comment that the damage here was done a long time ago. Uh, I think he says like a couple of days ago. And they find uh, one survivor of the outpost. And McCoy says he has shock, radiation burns, and internal injuries. Spock detects another life form on his tricorder. He says, cold-blooded, not human. O'Herlihy, one of the other officers along with him, goes to uh, see the aliens and says he sees something moving. And then all of a sudden he kind of glows red and is uh, disintegrated. Yeah, there, that's There's good. your first. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That was good. When that happened, I was pretty, pretty happy about that. <laughs> You know, this is funny to me, Dan, because you are so happy with crewmen being killed off. And you are like one of the uh, calmest, nicest people I know who, uh, is, as far as I can remember, is anti-violent. And so, yeah, uh, fuck yourself, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> but people change. <laughs> like immediately. <laughs> And so welcome to the last show of Damn It, Jim. The <laughs> With my former co-host. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, but it's exciting to me because we've got a count. The dead crewmen of ripped shirts, of etc. And so it's great when we see that count increase. In my mind, it's just great to, to see that happening. No, so I've... Otherwise, why would we keep the count if we didn't, weren't, didn't get excited about the count going up? The reason that I'm kind of excited about it is after the entire run of 79 episodes, I'm really, and I'm sure I can Google this, but I don't want to. I yeah. want to see it for myself. I want to see how many die on the show, and I'm sure I'm going to be surprised. When we started the, the count, I thought, 
how many will there be at the end of 79 episodes? Yeah. And I'm thinking there's got to be over 100. Yeah, maybe we should place a little bet on this. Maybe for our listeners, we get some ideas about what the bet should be, you know, what we should be betting for, I guess is the way to put it. And (laughs) and then we can take those into consideration and see if any of those are as bad as the ones we would come up with. I I think we have some uh, good fans out there that will uh, help us with this. So Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, back on the rails. So the dude's dead. We know that. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly the whole team is being shelled. And it's like, uh, it seems like mortar fire, but it like rocks the whole area. Kirk calls the Enterprise and Sulu says they're, they are under attack and they can't beam up the team. And Sulu uh, says that their screens are up. Now, again, you know, in these, this first half of the first season, they're still trying to get the terminology down and the nomenclature and so on. I mean, we know screens as shields now. In any of the early episodes, have we heard the term shields? It seems like we've had shields or screens or... Or something. This is the first time, and we'll mention this again, uh, that they reference the Federation. They don't call it the Federation of Planets. They just call it the Federation. Yeah. Kirk sends uh, Kellowitz and Lang to lay down suppressing fire. Kirk says he should be up on the ship, his ship, because the ship's under attack. You know, he thinks that he can handle the situation best on the ship. And then Kirk makes a run for the arsenal and is nearly blown up. Kirk calls to uh, the Enterprise again and orders photon torpedoes locked on. He tells Sulu to do whatever he has to do to protect the ship, uh, including leaving orbit. Spock goes out after Kirk and uh, lets him know that the enemy is moving. The aliens uh, damage Spock's tricorder. It's kind of funny. It just kind of like starts burning up and he takes it and throws it and it blows up. Yeah. In fact, he says something like, they've locked onto my tricorder. Like he was surprised and also a little bit pissed off about it. Yeah. And then he says, you know, how after it blows up, he's like, how ingenious that they... uh, we're able to feed the power back into the tricorder and uh, basically destroy it. They get uh, word that uh, Lang is dead. Uh, Kellowitz shows up and he says that Lang is dead. Okay, hold and on then... a second. Hold on. So <laughs> we don't see this guy die, but we got a second guy dead within, I think this is probably six minutes into the show, something like that. Yeah. I was happy too, Dana. I was happy about that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk uh, finds this mortar from the arsenal and pulls it out. And then they have like these blue grenades, I guess they were. It, they looked, uh, You know what they look like to me, Dana? Like big paintballs. Yeah. They look like big blue paintballs <laughs> to me. Yeah. Can I, can I say something about when they're loading that thing? Actually, there's two things I want to say. So they're loading this mortar. And so the guy is still alive, Kellowitz, who I think had the blue shirt on. So the yellow shirt guy died and the red shirt guy died, which I found interesting. But he says, uh, yeah, they're off to the right. And he gives him like the distance and the angle to shoot the thing. But Kirk never moves it. He never like turns <laughs> it toward the right. The second thing is they're they're in kind of a crater, right, is where they've taken cover. And that's where they have this mortar slash paintball kind of thing. And if you watch this carefully, you can see the shadow of someone walking, like someone from the crew walked by. I watched it a couple times and there's a shadow that just walks by. I'm like, what could that be? No, maybe that's just smoke. Maybe smoke's blowing by. I went back and looked at it again. Someone from the crew walked by and the shadow is cast over the actors and over the crater that they're in. And I just was like, well, maybe they just didn't have time to go back and fix that. They're just like, well, we'll just have to deal with it. So after the fire, Sulu reports that the alien ship has stopped their attack and their shields are down and he believes that they are transporting people up from the surface. 
Kirk tells him to lock onto the ship as he doesn't want to lose it, and then orders the medical personnel to beam down and look for survivors. Next thing we see is they're back on the ship and they're pursuing the alien vessel. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are talking to the injured man they found, and he says that the attack was relentless and it kind of came out of nowhere. He says they tried to tell the uh, attackers that there were women and children on the outpost, but the attack kept coming. He says there was no reason to attack them. Well, maybe whoever's doing the attacking just did not like kids. (laughs) (laughs) Or women, apparently. Or men. Or Or anybody. So then we see Kirk and Spock in Kirk's quarters. And Kirk is suggesting that the reason for the attack was to bring the Enterprise in and attack it. It was a trap. The Enterprise is the only protection in this section of the galaxy, Kirk says. The attack was an invasion. And Kirk calls for a red alert and battle stations. Sulu says the alien ship has gone to warp six, uh, same as the Enterprise. So Kirk orders that they go to warp seven. Spock gives Kirk a look. Something the matter, Mr. Spock? A sustained warp seven speed will be dangerous, Captain. Thank you, Mr. Spock. I mean to catch them. We'll either catch them or we'll blow up, Captain. They may be faster than we are. They'll have to prove it. Scotty's always talking about the ship blowing up. You'd think he'd have a little more confidence in his own ship. So did I tell you, though, about the time that I met James Doohan? You have never told me that you met James Doohan. Oh, this is great. This is a great story. So I don't think, Dana, this counts as going in the the, the ramble jar, but maybe at the end of the story, you make the decision, okay? And then you can decide, based on the length and or quality of the story, how much should go in the ramble jar. All right, so here's the story. When I was going to community college, just outside of Chicago. It was called Triton Community College. I worked for the radio station. James Doohan came to campus to as part of a tour for NASA. And one of the things they did after he kind of gave his little speech is showed all these outtakes or bloopers from Star Trek. And that was really funny. I wanted, though, to get him to do like a promo for the radio station. It was called WRRG. People are waiting in line after the, after the whole presentation's done. And I don't know, there must have been an hour's worth of people waiting in line and he's patiently signing autographs, being super gracious. And I'm the last person in line because I figure I don't want to bother him when he's signing autographs. I want to be the last person so he can do this little promo. And I get up to him and I introduce myself. He said, oh, it's a little too late to do an interview because it was late. You know, it was probably 11 o'clock at that point. And uh, I said, oh, I don't want to do an interview. (laughs) Which, Looking back on it was probably kind of, you know, obnoxious on my part. I said, I just would like you to do a promo for the radio station. I'll just take a minute. (laughs) He's like, oh, okay. well, why don't you write something out and then I'll do it for you. I was like, that's great. So I'm like, I got to write something really quick. So I write this little script thing out and I go up and I give it to him and he reads. He's like, oh, yeah, this is good. And so then he turns on the Scotty accent, you know, and he says, Hello there, this is James Doohan from Star Trek. You're listening to WRRG, River Grove. Cotton, I cannot get any more power out of the transmitter or she'll blow. So that's the story. Do I need to put any money in the ramble jar? No, I I love that story. Yeah, he seemed like a real decent guy. I mean, super, super nice. He stayed late to do that. He could have easily said, yeah, no, nah, it's too late. I'm not going to do that for you. Uh, I appreciated him for doing that. Pretty consistent that uh, whenever somebody's met James Doohan, uh, that they said he was a super nice person, was very gracious, and uh, really seemed to to appreciate his fans. I think that's awesome. Good. So no money in the ramble jar? 
uh, not for that. Okay. There's other things we got to put money in the ramble jar for. But. <laughs> All right. So Sulu then says the alien ship is at warp seven and Kirk orders that they go to warp eight. Everyone looks shocked. Kirk orders the phaser banks be ready and Sulu reports that they are closing in on the target. Uh, the helmsman, who's uh, Mr. DePaul, uh, reports that they are approaching an uncharted solar system. Sulu reports that the alien craft is slowing down. He goes, you know, warp seven, warp six, warp five. And then it comes to a complete stop. You could see Kirk is like ready for battle and he's, you know, telling the phaser crew to be ready and all this stuff. Suddenly the Enterprise is uh, slowed and then uh, it comes to a complete stop and it's like as it's slowed they kind of like shake like they like somebody slammed on the brakes yeah and everyone and gets thrown they, forward don't they yeah phaser team says that they have no power and suddenly the the screen changes uh, the main viewer screen and it looks kind of like a kaleidoscope image multicolored the voice comes on and says that they are the metrons and uh, you are one of two crafts that came upon our space on a mission of violence. And they have prepared a planet that will serve as a battleground for Captain Kirk and the captain of the Gorn ship. They're given a translator device and they'll be cut off from the ships. The winner of the battle will be allowed to go free and the loser's ship will be destroyed. So here's apparently a civilization that doesn't like violence. And yet they're going to have a fight to the death? Yeah, I think it's because like it was in their backyard. If you're going to fight in our backyard, we're going to make you pay. We're going to make it more interesting for us. Maybe they've got closed circuit TV and they're able to watch it all. So Yeah, what they should have said was the loser has to just chug a whole bottle of Jägermeister. <laughs> The Metrons say that they're going to give each Captain Kirk and the captain of the other ship a recording translating device, apparently so they can talk to each other. This will morph into, in several episodes later, what becomes known as the universal translator, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. When I was in French Polynesia, I don't speak French. I mean, I know how to order a beer in French and how to say thank you. It was very cool to just have the phone and I was able to turn on Google Translate. I mean, we have right now the Universal Translator. Again, I just find Star Trek and its prediction of things that would happen fascinating and it's happened in our lifetime, Dana. I wonder if Klingon is on Google Translate. It would not surprise me that the people at Google are Star Trek fans. Yeah, I think you're right. I had a cassette tape, you know, when you used to have cassette players in your car, and it was a tape that I found at a used bookstore, and it was How to Speak Klingon. You know who came up with the Klingon language, don't you? No, I don't. James Doohan. Did he really? Yeah, they were trying to figure out some words for the Klingons to say that would be Klingonese. James Doohan, uh, who was great with accents, offered some help, and he wrote the first... Klingon words. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. So what he was saying to me when I walked up to him in that line, I could tell he was not happy, but I just thought he was greeting me in some kind of other language, but he might have been telling me to do something else to myself. No, he was a super nice guy. So anyway, uh, Kirk suddenly disappears from the bridge and Uhura screams. Now this has got to be about the 10th time in 18 episodes that 
somebody has just vanished from the bridge. I was thinking this has got to be old hat by now. Let's see. When did it happen? Did it happen in last week's episode? Yeah, Squire, Squire of Gothos. Yeah. And Uhura was one of the ones that was disappeared from the bridge and showed up someplace else. The next thing we cut to is the Gorn. He's a large biped lizard. He's standing just a few feet apart from from Kirk. He kind of growls and he looks pretty kind of scary. He's got these kind of like bug eyes and looks like a big lizard. They both run and get like sticks uh, off of trees because the uh, Metron said that they would supply them with tools to make weapons on the planet. And so they both kind of break off these branches and go after one another. Kirk quickly realized the Gorn's stronger than him. They had a bigger stick and uh, Kirk goes <laughs> running away. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, once again, Kirk is, you know, doesn't have as big a stick as the enemy. <laughs> but we'll find out that he knows how to use it better. <laughs> and that has always made the difference. Kirk tries to kick him and the Gorn catches his leg. Yeah. But we see overall that the Gorn is very slow moving. First off, the hissing sound, which I kind of liked, actually. I thought that was really good. He's swinging his arms in this very slow motion. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> How could you not just get away from this guy? I thought, geez, run away. And he moves so slow. By the time he catches up to you, the, the Metrons are going to be tired of watching and just you know, <laughs> kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to, well, what they would do is probably make the arena smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> yeah. where they could not, you know, they make it so small where they couldn't actually get away. That'd be my guess. I mean, that's what I would do, you know, if you really wanted to. So it to becomes like it. a one of those wrestling death matches inside a cage. Yeah, like a cage match like. or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that was called. Yeah, okay. I've never seen one. Those things actually, Dana, as much as I say that I like the when the crewmen die in these episodes, I can't stand like that ultimate, what is it? Ultimate fighting and that stuff. I can't stand that kind of stuff. Uh, I just I just find it disturbing. I grew up watching boxing, watching Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, those guys. Yeah. There's an art to boxing. And a lot of people will say, that, you know, the UFC stuff is the same. There's an art to it. To me, it's just like a violent brawl. Yeah. You know, the point is to not just knock down your opponent. <laughs> so you can't get up but to like pummel him until he can't move you yeah, cannot no. tell me that brain damage doesn't happen in those matches i mean it has to right it happens in regular boxing yeah know, so i can't see how it can't be affected there so anyways hopefully we didn't lose all of our ufc listeners probably the majority of the people listening to us yeah. well because they have brain damage <laughs> and they can actually listen to a whole episode <laughs> of us doing this stuff oh no yeah <laughs> <laughs> So when I get beat up next week, <laughs> right? Because we've been making the fun of the grocery store. <laughs> we've been making fun of uh, UFC fighters. They're gonna find someone's gonna find us on the street. Hey, are you the yeah. are you the Star Trek guys? No, <laughs> no, that's not me. I was gonna get uh, shirts printed up with our logo, but uh, think reconsidering that now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a great idea. I like that idea. I did too, but I'm going to put, uh, I'm not Dan. Dan's the one that's that. <laughs> you know, actually, if we got some shirts printed up, that'd be like a good prize for listeners for something, wouldn't it? Yeah. We can't send Jägermeister through the mail. I think that uh, a t-shirt would be a better idea. What if we soaked the t-shirt in Jägermeister <laughs> and then put it in like a Ziploc bag? And when it got there, people could ring out the Jägermeister. Would that be legal or not legal? Try it and let's see. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to send you a package, Dana. <laughs>
So you worked for UPS though for a while, didn't you? Oh yeah. And you told me a story about about a human head. <laughs> you got to tell that story. Yeah. How it works is trucks come in from one facility. Well, one of the packages was leaking. God no. And, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so uh, they pulled it aside. Tried to see, you know, what the packing label was. I worked outside refueling trucks. And so this was inside. But we noticed that uh, one of the lines that was running stopped. The UPS, nothing stops. Yeah. We came in, I think I was on break, and somebody said, uh, did you hear what they found? And they said that uh, they found a human head <laughs> in a box that had been put in like a garbage bag and then put inside of a box and they put in like formaldehyde or something with it because of shipping moving stuff the box got damaged it was leaking <laughs> so uh they eventually opened up the box to see what it was that was leaking, see if it was anything that should be dangerous since they couldn't find a packing, and they found this human head. Now, did you see the head? I did not, nor did I want to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I wouldn't want to either. Do you think yeah, that was true? They, I mean, do you think it was a true story? Oh, yeah. They, they called the police. The police were out there. They said that a doctor was sending it to a doctor out west. He thought this would be fine. Just to put I, it. In a box. <laughs> yeah. Inside a garbage bag. Sure, know, sure. Yeah. With low formaldehyde and what have you. So, yeah. Well, one thing that that story tells me is that <laughs> it truly indeed is possible to get ahead at UPS. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> If someone just tuned in like for the first time and they're on Spotify <laughs> or something and they're like, wait, I thought, is this about Star Trek? What are they talking about? <laughs> GPS and human heads. And what, what is this? This one, I think, Dana, we do have to put, we do have to add to the uh, ramble jar. I, I, I think we probably do, but I probably have to do it because I asked you about the UPS story. <laughs> I agree. Okay, so I'll I'll uh, I'll break out the ramble jar in a little bit, and we'll we'll toss some toss some change in there. Okay. So God, where are we? Where are we in this episode? Are we even halfway through yet? I don't even think we're halfway through. It sure doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> See, so we met the Gorn. Oh, and, and Kirk makes a comment. I faced the creature the Metrons called a Gorn, large, reptilian, like most humans. I seem to have an instinctive revulsion to reptiles. I must fight to remember that this is an intelligent, highly advanced individual, the captain of a starship like myself, undoubtedly a dangerously clever opponent. I don't know. I've I've had friends who've had lizards as pets, and they were not repulsed. So I I don't know if it's most humans have a repulsion towards lizards. Yeah, I don't ha I don't have that repulsion. There'd be other things that I would maybe be repulsed by before a lizard. I don't own any, and I wouldn't. I would have no desire to own a no, lizard. No, so. I wouldn't either. I don't even know how you play with a lizard. Do they fetch? Do you think they'd even fetch? Can you teach them to do anything? <laughs> Why would anyone want a lizard, Dana? Why? Especially if it's going to grow up to become a Gorn. You know, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's really true. I do want to say something about the Gorn. I, I found the costume both menacing looking and ridiculous at the same time. I really, I was looking closely, like, can you see seams? Can you see where they pull the boots on? I really couldn't see that. I really thought the costume was pretty good. What did you think of the Gorn costume? I still thought like the way the eyes looked, it looked very menacing. Yeah. You know, for the 1960s, I thought it was pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I actually kind of liked it. As I started to say before, the Gorn moves very slow. And when Kirk tries to kick him, the Gorn grabs his leg and tries to bite him. Kirk gets away and he runs up this rock face, picks up a rock that he seems to have trouble carrying. So we, we think it's got some weight because Kirk's a strong, virile man. And uh, it's bigger than a football, about the size maybe of a basketball. Maybe right? about the size of, I don't know, a human head. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Depending we'd, on, we'd have know. to we'd have to take that to UPS and see if that would be about right. <laughs> but heavier than a human head. Yeah, or it a human looked, head with looked, a lot of brains. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really heavy. It did look heavy. Yeah. So he takes it and throws it at the Gorn, and it hits him right in the chest. Yeah, and just bounces off. And so the Gorn goes over, and there's like a boulder, and he picks it up and hurls that at Kirk, and he misses. So along with being slow, he doesn't have good aim. But still, then we get the immediate idea that the Gorn is much stronger than Kirk. Kirk tries to use this translator as a recording device. And it's kind of funny because he makes a log like, you know, he's on the ship and letting people know what happened to him. And he says, you know, if, if anything happens to me, whoever finds this. And the Gorn is listening. Kirk says, barehanded against the Gorn, I have no chance. On the ship, McCoy comes to the bridge and says uh, to Spock, what are you going to do? And Spock says, nothing I can do. So back on the planet, uh, Kirk is checking out some of the minerals around and makes note that uh, the surface has large deposits of diamonds. And uh, we see the Gorn, uh, he's doing something. He's tying a vine around a rock and he's uh, seems like he's preparing a trap or something for Kirk. And then Kirk goes and watches and he sees the Gorn like sharpening a rock, uh, like he's making a spearhead or something. So Kirk sees a, a boulder up on top of another rock higher up. So he goes up the rock and he really makes it look like he's pushing something heavy. But you can tell once again, it's a styrofoam rock. Right. So he pushes it, finally pushes it down. The rock hits the Gorn and knocks him down and, the, and it looks like he's dead. So Kirk comes down kind of valiant and and the Gorn pushes the rock off right. and gets yeah. up. And that uh, thing he was sharpening, it looks like an obsidian knife that he's making, right? I mean, it's a very sharp yeah. kind of thing that he, he's going to try to stab Kirk with. So the Gorn comes and uh, he's uh, chasing Kirk and and Kirk stumbles into the Gorn's trap and the Gorn comes up, you know, thinking, how the hell is he going to get out of this? But we forgot the Gorn is very slow moving. <laughs> so the Gorn first moves the rock out of the way. That's pinned Kirk to the other rock. Then he goes to stab Kirk. But again, he's so freaking slow. <laughs> Kirk is able to like roll out of there and get up and run away. Spock calls to the Metrons and says the ship's channels are open. He asks that they communicate with him and he gets no answer. Now on and the ship, again, Dana, at this point, they've got no clue what's happening on the planet, do they? Correct. They're not seeing anything. They're completely in the dark. Just then... The Metrons show up on the screen, the same kind of kaleidoscope look on the screen. He says, uh, your captain has very little time left. Suggest that you make whatever memorial arrangements that are customary in your culture. He says, we are not without compassion. We will allow you to see and hear what is happening. So it's funny. Uh, they see Kirk on the screen and uh, Kirk sits down next to a rock and Spock notes that the substance next to Kirk is potassium nitrate. So the Gorn calls to Kirk on the translator. Captain! Who is this, the Metron? This is your opponent, Earthling. I have heard every word you have said. All right, what do you want? I weary of the chase. Wait for me. I shall be merciful 
and quick. Kirk says, like you were to the people on Cestus 3, Gorn says they were intruders into their space. We destroyed invaders as I shall destroy you. Cut back to the ship. McCoy asks, Can that be true? Was Cestus 3 an intrusion on their space? It may well be possible, Doctor. We know very little about that section of the galaxy. Then we could be on the wrong. Perhaps. That is something best decided by diplomats. The Gorns simply might have been trying to protect themselves. Yes. McCoy has this really great realization that I think is at the core of the main message of this show, which is how do you tell an explorer from an invader? Kirk goes back to this area where he had found like these bamboo trees type things. And uh, they're kind of hollowed out looking. Spock says, uh, watches what Kirk's doing. He's like, good. Says he knows, doctor, he has reasoned it out. And then right now we're kind of wondering what the hell Spock's talking about. But Spock seems very intrigued. He says, if Kirk can find sulfur and charcoal deposit or even ordinary coal, McCoy kind of gives him a strange look. He says, uh, recall your basic chemistry, doctor, gunpowder. Mythbusters. I don't know if you ever watched that show. I, I actually used to really like Mythbusters. They did an episode yeah, but, on this. Like, could they use these things that Kirk finds on this planet and actually make gunpowder out of it? And their response was, or their findings were, no. Their findings were no. So the Gorn calls for Kirk to stop running. Now, we watch as Kirk uh, finds the substances he needs and continues to gather them together, including the diamonds. Kirk is preparing the combination as Spock and McCoy are watching it. And Spock says uh, he can do it if he has time. But then the the Gorn is coming around the corner, coming around one of the rocks. The gun fires and shoots diamonds and rocks at the Gorn. Yeah. And it's a it's a hit. I mean, the Gorn's only like six feet away. Yeah. And uh, and so the Gorn's knocked down. Kirk goes to, to kill him. He's ready. And then he says, no, I won't kill you. Maybe you thought you were protecting yourself when you attacked the outpost. So Kirk goes uh, away from the Gorn and he yells up at the Metrons. I won't kill him. You'll have to get your entertainment somewhere else. Next thing, the Gorn captain disappears. And then there's a tall, thin figure of a what appears to be a young man in kind of a robe of sorts. It uh, looks kind of Roman. Yeah. Yeah. He's with, got, and he's got like the sandals, right? Yeah. And he looks like he really needs to get, get some sun. This guy <laughs> is very pale. Very pale. Very pale. He says, you surprised me, Captain. By sparing your helpless enemy who would have surely killed you, you displayed an advanced trait of mercy. There is hope for you. Perhaps in several thousand years, your people and mine shall meet to reach an agreement. You are still half savage, but there is hope. We will contact you when we are ready. So Kirk, uh, next thing Kirk appears on the bridge and everybody's kind of gets up from their station and asks if he's all right. And Kirk says, I don't know. He says, I really don't know. And then he sends everyone back to their post and says, let's get out of here. So Spock asks, I would be interested in knowing what finally happened. We're a most promising species, Mr. Spock, as predators go. Did you know that? I've frequently had my doubts. I don't. Not anymore. And maybe in a thousand years or so, we'll be able to prove it. Spock asks, a thousand years? And Kirk replies, that'll give us a little time. 
So, Dan, let's talk a little bit about the dilemmas uh, and maybe the themes here in the show. Okay, one of the big dilemmas I see, Dana, is based on perspective. So the Gorn see the Federation as invaders. Federation doesn't even know the Gorn exists, but obviously the Gorn, this is their space. The Gorn see the colonists on Cestus III as invaders into their space. We see these examples even in American history, the conflict between Europeans and Native people who already lived here. This is not new is it? It's a terrible truth. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So Dan, what do you think was uh, some of the best parts of the episode? There were two best parts for me. One was the recording translating device, again, which I mentioned earlier, uh, becomes the universal translator. And then the second thing, uh, Scotty once again talks about how the ship might blow up. And he seems to be always (laughs) talking about one small mistake away from the whole ship going up in a ball of flames. How about for you? What were some of the best parts? I mentioned that I kind of liked that the Gorn, not your average alien. So that was kind of cool. And I liked that McCoy was kind of the voice of humanity. How about a worst part for you? The slow moving Gorn. As much as I liked the Gorn, it drove me crazy. I, I wouldn't mind him slow moving, but he was like ridiculously slow. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, One of the worst parts for me was, again, I mentioned this earlier, the styrofoam rocks. We've seen it in this episode and some others. Those are just not good. What about some things that were going on in the world at this time? Last week, we mentioned that the uh, monkeys had the number one hit in the U.S., uh, with the song I'm a Believer. This show aired uh, January 19th, 1967. And uh, the Monkees were still number one in the US, but they were also number one in the UK with the song I'm a Believer. Something interesting I found a couple days later, uh, January 21st, 1967, the first encounter between a computer and a master rated chess player in a tournament. The Mac Hack computer program designed by Richard Greenblatt of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, also also known as MIT, almost defeated another MIT student, Carl Wagner, who is rated as a little above master. Let's get to the counts. I'm so excited about this, Dana. First, the dead crewman count, Dana. What do we have for this week? We have one that we see get disintegrated and one we do not see on screen. So correct me if I'm wrong, but that's two dead crewmen. That is two. So we are now up to 25 and a half dead crewmen, Dana. What about the shirtless Kirk, ripped shirt Kirk count? I didn't see a ripped shirt. So that's zero. We're still stuck at eight. How about the he's dead count? I don't think there was any. No, not in this episode. So zero. We're stuck at three. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. No, that was, uh, and I didn't really think there was a place for it in this. No, no, there wasn't. Zero for this week. We are stuck at one. So Dana, what do we have for next week? Next week, Dan, is tomorrow is yesterday. I really love this episode, Dana. There's going to be a lot to talk about with tomorrow is yesterday. All right, Dana, once again, I had a great time. I'm looking forward to next week. Dana, have a have a good rest of your week. I'll see you next time. Okay, Dan, thanks a lot and live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast.com at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or Twitter. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for tomorrow is yesterday. Have a great rest of your week and remember to live long and prosper.